people and welcome to the August 2023 episode of Reporter Cast, which today will cover a niche within a niche, namely fraud and financial crime carried out on major e-commerce platforms. We will discuss this phenomenon on Amazon, but the same patterns and issues apply more broadly to a multitude of smaller companies selling things online and enabling others to sell. We have a range of problems here from physical fraud, which is to say fake products, counterfeit products being sold. Then we have scams, people pretending to represent Amazon in emails and phone calls to obtain private data. We also have stolen and cloned credit cards being used to buy genuine products on Amazon. And there are also, also scams that copy the entire Amazon web page and lead people to, to, to think it's the genuine um, page and then collect credit card details that way. Then there's affiliate marketing scams, people pretending to promote different products and advertise for, for the website and it's actually all fraudulent. Um, they're getting paid per click and the clicks are fake and so forth. And the woman who is going to take us through all of this cornucopia of, of crime is none other than Amazon's head of scam prevention, Abigail Bishop. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, the first question, as usual, is about yourself. How did you end up in this job? Why do you find it exciting? And uh, what motivates you to, to continue? And um, I saw on your LinkedIn that you were in publishing before. So it seems quite a big change, but but maybe not. So why don't you tell us? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so I feel like I have one of the best jobs out there. I uh, work both really, really closely with our internal experts on different ways that we can protect consumers from scams. And I get to work with so many other similarly committed organizations externally to share best practice, to learn what's uh, what's percolating outside of my purview day to day at Amazon, and uh, and get to kind of be the bridge between these worlds around such an important issue. Um, you're right. My background is not in scam prevention, um, but I I have spent a lot of time. Most of my career has been really, really focused on a couple of things, which are working in cross-sector, really challenging issues where there's multiple stakeholders who need to lean in, link arms, and make a difference, and doing that at scale. And so how do we, the, the scale of this challenge is, is really daunting. Um, we know uh, that we only know so much about what is actually happening to victims of scams due to, to underreporting of these types of, of occurrences. And so we um, have just an incredible need to scale up, link arms, make a difference in people's lives. And that's, that's what I, I love about my job. And it's what makes this work so important um, and what brings me sort of to the office every day. So, <laughs> yes, uh, right. So I, I was saying there's definitely a lot of really bad people out there who think nothing of, of 
stealing from others, deceiving them, and just um, you know doing all of this to enrich themselves, regardless of the consequences. So my my first question would be. Um, how much of the scamming and thieving on Amazon happens by by the hand of organized crime gangs who are professional and sort of have division of labor and um, different roles within the organization? And um, how much is it freelancers? I've been reading that increasingly teenagers, you know, uh, computer hackers are getting into this, people with a slight rebellious streak who aren't really criminals and they can be brought back to, to a decent society. So what's 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 the landscape there? Yeah, um, before I go into kind of the, the look and feel of some of these bad actors, one of the things that I want to underscore out the gate is for um, impersonation scams in particular, which is really where I spend a lot of my time and impersonation, not so much impersonation of individuals per se, but impersonation of the Amazon brand is happening off of our store, which makes this type of scam very, very difficult to wrap our arms around and understand and keep tabs of all the different variations of how criminals manipulate consumers' trust that they have in Amazon for their own gain. So this is happening off of our store, which makes sort of the challenge different. Um, so, than sorry, other... sorry to interrupt. So let's be clear, what is what is yep. off the store? So when, when a consumer a, uh, gets a communication off of our store, uh, oh, so it's outside, it's outside the website. Correct. Right. Okay. Yep, exactly. And so, so that's what makes when, when there is any sort of suspicious activity happening on our store, we have a lot of controls and processes and, and triggers to address any sort of signals that there might be something off base. Um, we don't have that when it's completely outside of our channels and off of off of our online marketplace. Right, which you, um, they have apps. You 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 have apps as well. So it's not just the website. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But even in operations, we have controls and we have uh, processes to trigger when there are signals that something nefarious might be happening. When we talk about impersonation scams, what makes them so difficult is that they are not within our purview and control, but they are happening and they are impacting consumers at a very meaningful rate. Um, and so for our work, this is, we, we believe at Amazon that we have a responsibility to protect consumers from any bad actor who would use our brand to manipulate consumers into losing their information or money. And right. so that is really where we are focusing a lot of our time. Yes, those you're absolutely right. There are so many different types of scams 
there are there are a lot of different variations. There's lots of different communication methods, monetization techniques. There's different sort of um, what I think of as as baits of um, employment scams or um, investment scams or you know all of these types of of MOs. Um, the thing that we really double down on is the use of our name in any of those activities. And so we go after bad actors um, of, of all sizes um, to, to address that particular set of crimes. Okay, so that means when someone runs a phishing campaign with a fake, um, a fake email saying, hello, I'm from Amazon, please put your password here or put your credit card here. Um, you get involved in that and you, you try to stop it. Yeah, we do it in a number of ways. So um, we work to shut down phishing websites. We shut down, gosh, last year, over 20,000. Uh, we also shut down fraudulent phone numbers um, all over the world because they also, scammers will call you, cold call you and say, I'm from Amazon tech support, or I'm from Anna, Amazon account security, or, you know, all of these uh, real people um, are on the other line. And, um, and so we, we've shut down 10, over 10,000 phone numbers last year. Um, and, and so we, we, we get as, as ahead of it as possible. So before we even see uh, any reports from victims, we have uh, sort of our ears open and our eyes open to what might be happening out in okay, the world. So that's, and that's, that sorry, that's because I suppose you don't like people tarnishing the brand, right? You, you don't you don't want you know consumers out there, potential clients or even existing clients to think. Uh, you know, this is something that uh, that criminals are using against me. So um, you just want to provide a deterrent. What's what's the motivation? Do you want to deter criminals from from doing this with with your brand? So it, I think it's I think it's twofold. I think there's one. There is a piece of of sort of that brand protection and not letting people um, uh, ex exploit uh our our brand and the the trust that we've built for decades with many of our of our customers but also just consumers at large the the primary motivation though is truly grounded in our customer obsession that this is impacting our customers this is this is at at a at scale has the potential to really undermine consumer confidence in online marketplaces and we need to protect oh, that's this interesting. space to serve consumers overall that is um, interesting that's that's um that's very insightful so because amazon is so big uh if you if you have at, at macro sort of uh, global level people starting to think twice about shopping online it's going to hurt amazon it's gonna hurt it's gonna hurt other other folks as well and and really it's gonna hurt consumers like consumers yeah. need access to goods oh, I can see they that. Need, right like this is this is something that is way outside of amazon's interest and because of our success and our scale 
we feel a real sense of responsibility to lead um, yeah. and to, to uh, demonstrate that doing this type of work is important um, and, and figure out how we can build bridges between all the different sectors that are are touched by these types of of crimes right well another sector that's touched by by this is the manufacturing sector especially luxury goods or branded goods people want these brands and a lot of the time counterfeit products do make their way back to amazon as much as other e-commerce websites and i think amazon is pretty big but the counterfeiting industry is a lot bigger and they have enough resources and enough shell companies and organization to always be a little bit ahead of the law. So can you tell me a little bit about how you try? I know it's not your particular role, but, you know, in general, at least how Amazon tries to stop counterfeiting. Yeah, we have um, a, a number of different teams. You're right. It's it's not my um, my area of focus, um, so I can I can only speak to it at a, at a high level. But we have a number of teams internally. Uh, we have in the round across all customer trust issues, whether it's it's uh, anti counterfeiting or scam prevention. Um, we have over fifteen thousand people behind the scenes who are working to protect our consumers and customers from fraud and abuse. Um, and and we have teams that prosecute bad actors and investigate uh, criminal activity. We have individuals who put tech controls and machine learning scientists who develop all sorts of uh, of signals and and ways of of uh, identifying where there are um, uh, suspicious uh, behaviors um, occurring. All of this kind of transcends all of our customer trust work um, across That's Amazon. That's interesting. That's interesting. And I think this is where you have something in common with the banking sector, because the banking sector also has protections at a high level with, with screening and you know general behavior analysis and suspicious activity and stuff. But they also very often prosecute people. They work with law enforcement. And, you know, we, we I get press releases all the time from banking associations mm -hmm. saying, you know, we put this fraudster in prison, we put this gang in prison and so forth. And I think this is quite similar. So how closely do you work with law enforcement? And um, do you think, I, well, you know, I, I don't want you to, to ruin your relationship with the police, but do you think the police can do more? Is there enough law enforcement and, and resource in law enforcement today in the UK at least or Europe? Yeah, we, we work really closely with partners across the world in law enforcement. Um, we are um, constantly in, in communication with different law enforcement agencies at different levels and jurisdictions. Um, it is central to our work. Um, and so we, we spend a lot of time before even presenting cases, building those cases to hand over to law enforcement. Um, we will investigate leads, we will gather evidence, we will interview victims, we will sort of conduct an investigation ourselves and then present that over to law enforcement. Um, and, and we do that 
all over the world, but we also do other types of actions as well outside of, of, of you know, just, just the, the law enforcement pieces. We'll do sort of business disruption activities, things like cease and desist orders um, here in the US. We will, um, you know, pull together you know, all sorts of different levers of legal action um, to for these types of, of uh, scams. Um, but yeah, we work really closely with law enforcement. And I think that, you know, to your other question on the, the enforcement space has a real challenge in front of it. I think for a number of different reasons. I think one is um, underreporting is a massive challenge to understand the nature, the scale, the impact, the uh, evolution of some of these criminal networks. Um, we just do not have a great pulse on what is happening globally um, for a lot of reasons. But it is a it is a real challenge. And without that information, it's why we at Amazon we're, we are um, really really vocal about our need and desire for anyone who has been a victim to report it to us. We have a number of different places where you can report this type of activity to us, and we um, so we can do our part to pick up on these signals, build these cases, send them over to law enforcement as it makes sense. Um, but it's a real, it's a real challenge. I think the other challenge, which is um, sort of, it, it's different, but it's related, is the ability for information sharing between jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. So uh, these, these criminal networks are not often isolated to Europe. They're not isolated to any one place. They're, they're in, a, in many cases, a global, networks that um, sort of operate between the lines of these jurisdictional boundaries and make it really challenging for law enforcement to uh, to track and, and keep up with. It's just there, totally. there are real challenges with this space. Totally. So you find that the, the police forces of different countries are not really good at talking to each other, right? Some are, some are uh, in constant contact. We have um, really good relationships um, with a, a number of countries. We've watched, we've observed some uh, cases where there's a ton of really successful collaboration. Um, but there are things that fall between the cracks, and I, I don't think anybody would argue with that. Right. And in terms of the model of policing, Fraud and and uh, money laundering and scams and counterfeiting. This is just a sliver of of the work that the police forces have to do. So in oh, London, absolutely. yeah, in London they found a model for the city of London to be the city of London police to be partly funded by industry players. And this is mostly companies that have a presence in the city of London, but they're also expanding into financial crime now. And uh, I think. You know, from what I've been reading, they've been doing a good job, but I haven't heard this happening elsewhere. Do you have this model in, in other countries and do you think it's a good idea? I can't speak to uh, other other models. 
But I can say that that public-private partnerships in in whatever form they take have incredible value, and it's it takes all sectors um, pulling together to to make a meaningful impact. And so, any any opportunity to collaborate, I think, is of of value. Okay. And um, a lot of a lot of police go into private practice after a while, and I wonder, do you work steadily with with private investigators? Uh, there are a lot of them here in London, but also in America, I'm sure. And what sort of work do you? you I suppose you have to do the work to the standard that that the prosecutor would accept, right? So yeah, yes. Um, so we do work with outside counsel on certain investigations. We have. Um, a lot of investigators in-house that we we work with, our customer protection and enforcement team is an entire team inside Amazon, which is charged with investigating and uh, working with law enforcement around these types of, of crimes. Um, and so that's really what our team looks like internally is they, a lot of them are kind of to your point, our former law enforcement officers or members of the military um, who have shifted over to to Amazon and bring that wealth of, of experience um, from that sector to their right. work. And another component is prosecutions. And um, in the UK, they do private prosecutions as well. So for fraud and, uh, and counterfeiting and sort of corporate crime in, in, in its different guises, it's not uncommon for for the prosecution to be brought by by the lawyers of, of the victim. So this is a this is a legal thing that 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 you see in the UK. But I wonder do you think this is good? Is Amazon doing it doing this in the UK and should it be expanded to other countries as well? I'm not sure if we are. Um I will say that we take a lot of different legal actions. Um, criminal referrals are are one where we refer these cases to law enforcement, but we take a lot of different actions um, all over the world based off of the, the legal system of what's gonna make most sense. Um, and, and we've had sort of private filings as well. Okay. Um... So you prefer to go through the like the official institutions rather than bring a private prosecution, even where uh, even where it's possible. No, I wouldn't say we we prefer it. It's just we have a a toolbox of different legal levers, and we evaluate the merits of which tool to use depending on the circumstances and the jurisdiction, uh, and what we think is going to deliver results for our customers. Right. Okay. And um, uh, let's move on then to, I, I would like to ask you about different typologies of, of uh, scams that you sure. encounter and um, different ways that people can, people can detect them. People can become aware that, that someone is trying to scam them. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you want to start? <laughs> this is, a, <laughs> this is a, a pretty broad, broad space. Um, so yeah, I think with with this, I, I as I mentioned earlier, 
impersonation scams, you know, the, the Better Business Bureau uh, in, in North America is flagged that of all of the types of scams that exist, over half of them um, are impersonation scams. And they take a lot of different forms. They show up in a lot of different ways. The commonality between all of them is that the criminal is um, in, in pretending to be a trusted entity. It could be a family member. It could be a government agency. It could be a trusted company. Um, and they replicate these communications through so many different channels. We've seen um, everything from QR codes to phone calls, to emails, to text messages. I mean, the communication channels are super variable, but the, the key is that they, they often do it at scale um, and they need only really a small percentage of the number of, of uh, communications they're sending to land with would-be victims. Um, and they use a lot of different monetization techniques. I heard one recently that was using um, uh, Western Union here in the U.S., which is sort of a, 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 a different um, type of, of uh, monetization technique that I don't see often. Um, of course, there's credit cards. We see gift card fraud. Um, and, and in Bitcoin, peer-to-peer -peer payment apps, like it really runs the gamut. Um, oh. and go ahead. So, yeah, I was just saying that that sounds amazing. So people actually fall for these things, uh, like, you know, can I, uh, can I sell you something on Amazon, but why don't you pay me in Bitcoin or how does it work? So a couple of the, um, one of the most uh, successful um, uh, types of uh, impersonation scams that we saw, especially last year, um, was uh, order confirmation scams. So what would happen is you'd receive a text message or an email saying, um, you have, uh, here's your order confirmation for the cell phone you purchased for a thousand pounds. Um, call us at this number if you have any questions. And somebody gets something like that and they're like, what in the world? Like, what, what is happening here? I didn't order a phone. Okay, let me call this number. Oh. Uh, they call the number, the person on the other line, it's a real person. And the consumer has this temporary sense of relief of like, oh, thank goodness, I'm talking to like a real person. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Um, and the person says, this is Amazon tech support. How can I help you? Or Amazon customer service. How can I help you? And the the thing is, is that it is not Amazon. You're speaking to a scammer. And they will say, you know, tell me what's going on. The consumer will explain the, the, the communication they received and they'll say, oh yeah, that I, I, let me get to the bottom of this. What I'll need is, um, access to your device. If you could please, you know, download, um, this app, I will sort this on, on our end. Um, and they will unfortunately download the software um, and give access to the scammer to the to their device. 
Um, and at that point, it, you're really um, in trouble, right? Um, and and they, they will kind of move from there until someone catches on that this is not legit um, or uh, the, the money just isn't there. Um, but that is like an, a really, really common example of just in your day-to-day -day life, we're, we're not always wired to be, you know, just super suspicious of every single interaction. Or vigilant, or just vigilant. <laughs> or vigilant, right? And so you, you hear someone, a, a real person, and as a, someone who is not a scammer, you couldn't imagine exploiting somebody the way that they're doing it, right? And you're just, you you hear them say, I'm from Amazon. And you're like, what? This is, okay, like, they're going to fix this for me. And you give them access to your bank account. They get into your, you know, your, your personal information. I mean, just, there's terrible, terrible things that happen. But that is one example of, of how, how this happens. And it's why, um, you know, we have a number of different, communications that we put out into the world reinforcing some of these sort of bright lines of what Amazon will and will not do things like so, we yeah. we will never ask you to pay for a job we will never ask you to download software um, we will never ask you to pay to speak with customer service we will never ask you um, so things like that, that we are yelling from, from the rooftops out in the world saying, we will not do these things. Please be aware of, of these best practices, right. but. And it's a, it's a structural thing after all, because people do tend to trust each other and e-commerce is conducted over the phone and over the, over the internet. So, you know, you wouldn't have trouble confusing you know, Walmart for something else because it's there and it's big. But um, when it's a website, it's easy to copy. So I can see your I can see your problem. Um, <laughs> how about um, how about affiliate marketing? I've been doing some investigations over the years in this, and uh, this is a can of worms as well. This is big companies having affiliate marketing programs, and basically the companies are getting defrauded massively of of millions of of dollars. I think or even more than that, by people who have click farms and stuff like that and have a very elaborate ways of concealing their IP address and stuff like that. And I just wonder, uh, how does Amazon feel about um, about uh, affiliate marketing? It's not really regulated either. So uh, yeah. how, how do you deal with the fraud in, in that space? It's not, um, it would... It's not something that I work on um, directly, um, but it is something that would kind of, from from my perspective, be one of the types of communication methods that scammers use, and we'd apply the same sort of um, uh, rigor and enforcement work against that. But it's not really something that I spend a lot of a lot of time in specifically right okay okay and um um just because we're, we're um we're coming on to to the hour almost 
Um, can you give some details about an investigation where, uh, you know, it was quite remarkable, something you remember, some uh, some top case that you worked mm. on, a bit of true crime where somebody actually went to prison for, for the damage they did? Yeah. Um, so, so I, I do have, have one, um, there was, there was a very savvy, um, consumer, someone with an Ivy league education, um, that, um, nearly fell victim to a scam. Um, and she reported it to us and we, it took, took a, a while um, it took a, a, over a year to complete the investigation and identify sort of the the root cause or the the core um, uh, individuals leading the scam. Um, but we worked with law enforcement in a couple of jurisdictions. Is one of these ones where it was a really good example of cross jurisdictional cooperation, um, and we were able to, with this one report identify the the scammers the get down to who were the leaders of the criminal network behind the scam and uh arrest them um and they're facing right now um the their sentencing so they're, they're going to be sentenced so they were found guilty already yep who are they the, it's it's i i don't want to get into too no, much it's of public specific. record come on no, it depends on which which country you're you're operating in, um. But it's it it is it is really um happening, and they're awaiting sentencing. And once that works its way properly through the appropriate legal channels, we will be very excited to tell more about that story. But it is okay, a well. a real story and super compelling of. This one very savvy would-be victim who thankfully didn't lose any money, um, but was really close to making an incredible difference. Um, and um, it's 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 pretty powerful for me. That's one some, anecdote. Some details. That really how much money up. was about? How much money was about to get stolen? I don't remember the exact figure, but it was in the tens of thousands. Okay, so a, a serious amount then, probably mm -hmm. someone someone's life savings. And um, uh, you already mentioned the Ivy League, so we know it was in America. <laughs> we don't well, you have... don't know the Ivy League. People people travel. People live all over the world. Okay, okay, um, okay. So but, just because um... they went, uh, just because they went to university in America, doesn't make them American. Okay, okay. So what what I, are you giving me? What what are the jurisdiction? Give me give me the jurisdictions. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that right now. Okay, all right. Well, I, I I'm hoping you're going to follow up in due course then. <laughs> Fair enough. I I I look forward to it. Okay, and so moving swiftly on then, uh, digital education is a problem as well. People haven't, especially elderly people, mm -hmm. haven't really got their heads around the dangers of, of the online world and how easy it is for someone to impersonate someone else and pretend to be someone else and so forth. And uh, I just wonder, the government isn't really doing much at all, um, not in the UK and not in Europe anyway. I don't know about America, but probably not. So is there a role for, for the private sector to to 
teach people a bit better, use advertising, use whatever, use classes, flyers, whatever it is to, to teach people to be a bit more vigilant on the internet? Yeah, I, I have a couple of things I want to I wanna highlight with what you just said, because I think it's a really good point. Um, we absolutely prioritize consumer education. We, as I said, with, with uh, some of our bright lines, the things we will and will not do, um, being a steady drum beat in people's lives. We partnered with consumer organizations um, and um, uh, scam prevention organizations all over the world uh, to contribute to multiple efforts um, in Japan and Europe and um, in the U.S. and other places um, to continuously get the word out. I think one of the things that I would I I would challenge with what what you said because I I I felt I I assumed this as well is um that some of that digital native or digital savviness is commiserate with mitigating your susceptibility to these scams because reports recent reports from the National Cyber Alliance here in, in the states and and others have called out this really troublesome trend that Gen Z, sort of younger adults, are increasingly more susceptible to impersonation scams than other generations. And really? so these are people who were born, raised, you know, the internet was was widespread, right? They spend um, more time on the internet than in real life. Well, there's a lot of reasons potentially, right? And and so I, one of the things that, that I am really keen to get ahead of is with this trend percolating, how can we um, sort of set aside our preconceived notions that the, the target victims are, you know, your grandmother with her retirement account. And actually it's, you know, the 21 year old who just does too many things on their phone and is not always thinking before they act and they're just moving quickly through their digital lives um, and find themselves in, in a tangle of, of a scammer. Um, and so I, two weeks ago, we announced a partnership with the Global Cyber Alliance um, to pick at this issue um, and, and develop uh, communication and outreach uh, uh, techniques to the generation that is um, sort of entering their adult consumerism lives. Right, right. Um, and so anybody who wants to uh, work with us on that, it is it is open to, to partnership. It does not have to be Amazon and the Global Cyber Alliance. Uh, we want others to to lean into this as well. And I, I think there's a real opportunity to protect a population that that might not be as tuned in to their vulnerability to these types of scams. Right, because they think of themselves as young, savvy, street smart, but clearly, clearly probably not if if your research showed it, right? But what's what's the message? I mean, ultimately, let's say some of my audience are 17, which I suppose some of them would be. 17, 18, what's, what's your message to them? I would say one is um, 
be very leery of false urgency. <laughs> Anytime that somebody is trying to pressure you into doing anything, um, pause and evaluate if there's something off about what, what is happening. Trust your instincts um, on, on those types of moments. And the other thing, when it comes to Amazon specifically, um, when we communicate with you, you can check your message center on your account. There's a log of all of your communications with us. All of your transaction history and account history is going to be on your account. If there's any uh, uh, outreach to you that um, is about a, a transaction or in an interaction that doesn't quite track with your personal experience, you can check online to see if, um, if there is a record of that there. So those are sort of, sort of two of my top tips um, that I would put out. Um, and that's not just Generation uh, Z, but it's it's sort of applicable to all consumers. But I would I would say that to to my um, you know young adult friends as well. Yeah, because they tend to act on impulse maybe more than the others, I suppose. And um, final question. Your plans and Amazon's plans for the future on on fraud and uh, and financial crime and uh, are you lobbying for more law enforcement against fraud for more police officers more more prosecutors to be dedicated to economic crime? Yeah, so there's a number of things that we are leaning into um, across this issue space and welcome collaboration from folks who have similar. Um, uh, commitment on these things. Things like let's improve support for victims. Let's identify ways where we can responsibly share information um, between jurisdictions, between organizations. Let's ease and destigmatize the ability to report these crimes so that we can track them and pinpoint uh, the, the trends more accurately. Um, let's figure out um, how we can standardize some of these best practices of communicating with consumers so that we just take that guesswork out of uh, our interactions um, with our customers of this this doesn't feel right, is it right? Getting some standardization across uh, organizations, I think, is, um, is something we'd be interested in exploring as well. So those are just a handful of things that um, we are um, thinking a lot about and prioritizing and hoping that others will uh, be interested in working with us on those those issues. There, there's a lot of different organizations who are impacted by these types of, of crimes and we want to work with, with all sorts of sectors to address it. Okay, sorry, another question. I, I know yeah. I'm, uh, uh, I've said it was the final one, but just the point of <laughs> clarification, you said there was a stigma on reporting. So do you find people are ashamed of reporting or what's, yes. what's happening? Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah. That is something that we've heard is that there's a real um, emotional toll that happens in the wake of these crimes where people are embarrassed. They, they're, they sort of feel like, how could this how happen could I be to me? So silly? How could this happen to me? Like, how did they, you know, nobody likes to be tricked into something, right? And um, and so there's a there's a stigma which 
does fuel some of that under-reporting. And so destigmatizing it, really getting the word out that, listen, these these crimes could happen to anyone, anywhere, anytime. It's okay. It's okay to make it, a mistake. Just report it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And um, finally, finally, do you have a number? <laughs> I promise. Just, just a number on how much is not reported versus how much is reported? I don't have a number. I think it's something there's other people who have done really great reports on this that I'm, I don't have off the top of my, my head, but I think it's something like we only see about 5% of the actual crimes um, are reported. So, so it's, it's, it is severely underreported. Good God. It's chaos out there, isn't it? It, it's, it is a turbulent space for sure. Okay. And on that note, Thanks very much for participating and for anyone listening and um, have a great uh, weekend ahead. This is being filmed on a Friday, that's why. <laughs> Thank you. All the best.